I'm grateful today Pastor Rick put this addition on, and so we don't have to worry about hitting microphones or Bibles falling off the end. Uh, we, we can spread out up here. Um, one. And two, your goofball children challenged me to two things. The first was to incorporate fire-breathing armadillos into the sermon. And so this is officially incorporating those fire-breathing armadillos into the sermon. And the second um, was there was concern there may have been a heretic in in Sunday school class when uh, someone asked who wrote the Bible, and one of the students started to raise his hand as if he had written the Bible. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I'm just so grateful for, uh, for your children and the good questions that they have and how we get to dive uh, in, into the Word um, with them. But this week, I bought my first house. And it... Um, yeah, that, that applause was a long time coming, right? If you've been through that, like it's, it's a process, right, to, to say the least. And... Um, I'm pretty confident I was dealing with an underwriter who thought that they were actually an interior decorator. And at one point in time, on the phone with them, I actually said, so what color curtains would the bank like me to have? <laughs> I was like, come on. And um, the loan officer, you could just tell, right? We were on our seventh closing Tuesday, and he called me. And um, on the phone, you could just tell he just didn't know how to break this next piece of terrible news to me, um, or seemingly terrible news. And you could just feel the friction, right? He's just like, how do I say this news that Benjamin is not going to like saying? Right? And we've all been in those situations, haven't we? We're like, I'm not quite sure how to share this news. They're not going to take it well. But we have a story like that uh, this morning. So I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 39, um, and, and we're going to read the, the entire passage. So this is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. 
and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that this morning you will make your word alive by the power of your Holy Spirit to each and every one of us, that you will remove distraction, and that you will just maximize our understanding, what you have for each and every one of us. In the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, uh, so last week, Zeb shared the story the issue or the situation facing Mary. She was going to have a baby boy, but her predicament was that she was still going to be a virgin, right? And the question is, how do you break that news to someone? It doesn't really seem to compute. Who's Mary going to tell first? And how is she going to share that information? Well, We know from last week in verse 36 that Gabriel, the angel, whenever he came to Mary, said, well, your your relative Elizabeth is also going to have a miracle baby. And so Mary's probably thinking, well, you know, if Elizabeth is going to be having a miracle baby, then she probably would be a little bit more understanding of my whole situation. And so we read here that Mary makes the journey. Now, this isn't a, a, an ordinary journey, right? It's probably about 80 miles, maybe upwards of 100 miles. And in those days, you could travel about 20 miles per day, 25 if you're really hoofing it. Right? So how long is this journey taking her? I know this is math class. Someone up there said, I wish, I th- I, in Sunday school, said, I need to go back to first grade math. Well, here you go, Ricky. Here's your first grade math, right? <laughs> how many days is it? Four days, right? She has four days to ponder how she's going to break the news to Elizabeth. Hmm. Hey, Elizabeth, this this angel showed up to me and he he told me that, no, she's not going to go for that. No, oh, oh, God told, you're starting to feel it? You're feeling the tension? And, And she shows up. And we read that Mary greeted her cousin. And then, probably probably to Mary's relief, Elizabeth beats her to the punch. Elizabeth interrupts her so that Mary does not have to give her, her speech. We see that Elizabeth, filled by the Holy Spirit, beats her to the punch. And what a relief. That must have been. But if you read, if we read it carefully, we see that someone actually beat Elizabeth to the punch. Who was it? It's in verse 41. John the Baptist beats her to the punch. Only the Bible doesn't say his name here in verse 41. Let's, let's read it together. This is verse 41. It says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. Let's take note of this. An unborn child is the very first person 
to recognize the mother of the Messiah. To respond to the privilege that God has given to Mary. In other words, fetal John is the first human there in his mother's belly. When we read this book, we see page after page after page, the importance of life, right? And how life spans from that early moment of conception all the way to the end, that all life is a gift of God and that all human life is made in the image of God. Even from those very early moments there in the womb, right? There's no such thing as that, that clump of, of cells, right? We see it as, as Nancy read for us earlier, right? No such thing as the, the clump of cells, but that that person, that human, is made then just as much in the image of God as you and I. And because of that, when we open our Bibles and read through it, it's for that reason that we, we believe that abortion right, is, is wrong, that a person or a human life does not depend on the physical size, does not depend on the level of development, right, whether it's there, that child's there in the womb or is a toddler, right, or they say the brain is continuing to develop even until the late 20s, so I guess I'm, I'm still a child, right, it does not depend on the environment, right? There in the, in the embryonic fluids. It does not depend whether you're inside or outside. That, it does not define a human and dependency, our degree of dependency on someone to sustain us with food or to provide for us does not define us as a human or as a person, right? Just as much from a little baby as the immobile 120-year-old Right is dependent on someone else to provide food. That is not the defining characteristic of what it means to be a human. The text actually refers to this. If you look back in verse 15, talking about John the Baptist, Gabriel, the messenger of God, says, he, John, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now catch that. He he, a distinct person, there in his mother's womb. And it is possible for God to fill a human even from the womb. And that's exactly what's happening here in this account. That fetal John, with the Holy Spirit inside, leaps at the sound of Mary's voice, leaps at the prospect of the promise of the Messiah. And Elizabeth, here in verse 44, speaking on behalf of God, let's read it. It says, for behold, this is Elizabeth speaking, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby leaped, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. How did the baby leap? What caused the baby to leap? Joy. This child, this unborn child, has the capability to feel emotion. And not only to feel emotion, there's something really fascinating here. John, the introducer, the one to prepare 
The way forward for Jesus, even in his mother's womb, is fulfilling his life's calling and his life's purpose when he is still in his mama's womb. And he leaps for joy. You know, how much more should we, right? How ought we, church, to live, to welcome this news of Jesus' coming, despite, as we've been talking about earlier, the pain and the suffering and the, the real difficulties facing each and every one of us, but how we ought to leap for joy, right? Someone in here has like one of those huge pogo sticks. We should have brought it today, right? Leaping for joy at, at the coming of the Messiah. The baby leaps, and then she speaks. It says, the baby leaps, and then she, or mom, starts to speak. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to read what we already know to be the case, into a story, right? especially those of us who know the end. It's so simple to like read that into the beginning. But nowhere in Scripture do we see that Elizabeth knows that Mary is going to be the mother of Christ. But, but here she, filled with the Holy Spirit, acknowledges it. Now, we know the reverse is true. Mary, Gabriel told Mary that Elizabeth had a child, but it wasn't the other way around. Right? Verse 43, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, and therefore speaking on behalf of God, says, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Can you feel her joy? Can you feel her joy that this is it? This is that moment that we've been waiting for. The Lord, my Lord, the one for whom we have been waiting. And not only is it this sense of joy, but there's quite a bit of humility in that statement, isn't there? The mother of my Lord. I am so privileged that the mother of my Lord's coming to me. She's just like, She's aghast at that. It's like, I don't deserve that. It's particularly striking because, because she, Elizabeth, and her husband, Zechariah, who's their little baby going to be? John the Baptist, of whom Jesus later says, of those born of women, there's none greater. And he's also the fulfillment of a lot of prophecy. In other words, Elizabeth and John are big deals. And they, in a sense, have a right, well, well of course he's going to come visit me. My child is the one who's going to prepare the way f- for her child. No. With striking humility, she says, and why? Why would the mother of my Lord even come to me? You know, this, this can't be separated. This sense of joy and this humility. We see it time and time again here in the account. Joy and humility, recognizing that Mary will be the mother of Jesus, the mother of her Lord, her everything. This is, 
the very first conversation that we have recorded of two people having a conversation about the very imminent coming of Christ. This is the first conversation of two people who now know that Jesus is about to come just about any day now, the very first conversation. It's kind of like the C.S. Lewis and Narnia freaks in here. I know there's a few of you, right? It's, it's that moment when, uh, when the four children are in the beaver's house and they're saying, Aslan is on the move. It's that moment when these two ladies are talking and saying, God is on the move. This is what we've been waiting for these thousands of years. And this conversation, the first one recorded, it's not held among the high priest and the other priests in the temple. It's not held among the Pharisees or the Sadducees in the Sanhedrin. It's not held in the thrones of the kings. Where is this first conversation held? in the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and who is in the conversation? Two women, the lowliest of the low in that society. Two women. It wasn't, you can't have that kind of beautiful understanding, but the first recorded conversation we have is between these two women See, God has a track record of taking the lowliest of the low and using them in profound ways. You know, turning the world upside down, if you will. Isn't that encouragement? It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. It doesn't matter who you are or what your name is or what it isn't. It doesn't matter what despicable, terrible, shameful things you and I have ever done. Because God is in the business of taking the lowliest of the low and using them in great ways. Maybe each of us needs to spend some time this week right, thinking about, Lord, how do I need How can I come before you? What do I need to lay at your feet so that you can use me? But there's a prerequisite. We actually see it in verse 45. So what's the prerequisite? Verse 45 says, and again, Elizabeth is speaking, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now let's contrast what we learned a few weeks ago about Zechariah. Zechariah, he was chosen, he was the big wig priest for that particular time, and he goes in to the temple on behalf of all of Israel. Right? And he has an encounter with the messenger from God, the angel Gabriel, right? And in that moment, Zechariah, the priest, the big wig, has a moment of doubt and disbelief, doesn't he? And as a result of that, what is he no longer able to do? He can't speak. He's mute. The disbelief of Zechariah the priest is now contrasted to the belief of the lowly little peasant girl, Mary. And Elizabeth, you know, her husband's the one who can't talk, 
I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing for her. Um, nine months is silent, but... <laughs> and she says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Because she had seen firsthand the opposite. The prerequisite is trust. The prerequisite is trust. Trusting that God would fulfill what he had spoken. In this case, verbally through Gabriel. In our case, trusting what God speaks is the prerequisite. Friends, do we really trust this word as if it's the word of God? And if we do, do we live like it? Do we obey as we ought? And that takes us now to part two. Verse 46. Now, this is confession time. If you look down in your Bibles and you see the heading over verse 46, what's the big weird word that we've all heard but none of us know what it really means? <laughs> Magnificat. How many of you have heard the word Magnificat for years and you're like, I still have no idea what that word even means. This was me until I, okay, I guess just me. <laughs> Thank you, one honest person. Um, Magnificat. Like, are we dealing with some sort of magnificent cat? Like, what's going on here? Right? And um, again, uh, that was me. All these years in church and um, more recently I just learned while studying this text. Magnificat, if you look at that first line, What's the first line of it say? These are Mary's words. My soul magnifies the Lord. So about a thousand years ago or so, some folks decided to put a label so that they could say, this is the name for it. So they take that word magnify, they kind of turn it into a noun, and they make it magnificat. That's where it comes from. Um, So the magnificat, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's the purpose here that God is on display, that he is magnified as Mary opens up her mouth. Now there's a, a, a structure that's helpful, and there's three brief elements to Mary's words here. One, the first two or three verses um, are, are um, given to the privileges that God gives. In other words, Mary starts praising God for the specific things that God has done for her. Starts personally. And then Mary goes on to kind of the patterns that God follows. The more general sense. These are the big things that God has done over history. And then lastly, the promises that God keeps is the last two verses of of this, this part. The promises that God keeps. Um, Those were borrowed from a helpful commentator, Dale Ralph Davis. Um, And so we'll be diving into them. And it's also interesting to know, and while we won't be doing this this morning, there are striking parallels between this passage and Hannah's song. Hannah, who was also promised a child, uh, the child of Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. If you want to go into that for personal study, you're more than welcome to. But there are beautiful parallels between Hannah's song in the first 10 verses um, there in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel and Mary's words here. 
And one other general note on Mary's words. Nearly every single line is very, very close to verbatim to other scriptures. You see, Mary, although we can probably assume that she couldn't read or write, knew the scriptures. They were baked into her being. And now at the outflow of this beautiful moment with her cousin Elizabeth, she begins. Let's read. We'll start in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on at my humble estate of his servant. For behold, now all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Again, can you feel both the humility and the joy that's just ringing from her lips? That this conversation between these two women, two of perhaps the most privileged women, two women who have distinct honors and distinct places in redemption history. And with it, Mary says, now all generations will call me blessed. And here we are today saying, well, Mary had the distinct privilege, right? That's us today calling her blessed to have the distinct privilege of mothering Christ. To carry, to care for even to cradle little baby Jesus, God himself. She says in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, this is interesting to note. In her humility, she not only recognizes her lowly estate, but this little-known peasant Jewish girl also recognizes her spiritual state. Person to refer to God as her Savior, as her salvation. And in doing so, she actually recognizes her own need to be saved. How appropriate. How appropriate it is that the mother of Jesus, the one who will sustain and care for him, is the very first one in this narrative to call God her Savior. To call God the one who will make her to be alive. See, she recognizes that she is not a dispenser of salvation, as our Catholic friends may believe, but that she herself is in need of salvation. She needs it just as much as you do, just as much as I do, just as much as any other human because of our fallen human nature, right? And that's why this, that's why this baby, this Jesus is here in the first place, right? To save the people from their sins. And so in the same way, we, like Mary, 
are in pretty big need, aren't we? In need of salvation, in need of a Savior. Praise be to God that this Jesus, that God has come. No matter, again, no matter what the despicable, the shameful, the things we just kind of want to cover over, not let anyone ever know, no matter those things, the Savior is still here. And there's a promise. Mary utters a promise here in verse 50. This is the promise. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Despite the shameful and the despicable and the, the sinful things that we don't want anyone else to know about, that we don't even want to remind ourselves about, this is a promise. His mercy God's mercy is for those of us who fear him, who recognize him too as Savior from generation to generation. That's, that's still us, by the way. Many generations later, this promise is still true. So if you're feeling that wrestling in here, don't leave today until you just Start some sort of conversation with someone, with the elders at the end up front, with the person you came with, just to say, what does it even mean to fear God? Don't leave. Now, if you look down in verse 51 to 55, I actually totally intended to bring a piece of candy up and toss it out, but that's not happening. Verse 51 to 55, count the number of times that the words he has appeared. Verses 51 to 55. How many times do the words he has appeared? Matthew, is that a hand raise or a head scratch? I'm calling you out. All right, hand went down. (laughs) Six. Well, it's technically six in the passage. Um, But in those verses, it's five times the words he has show up. Now, in the original text, the, the way it's conjugated, it's called the aorist tense. Here's what it means. It means that these are things that God has done. These are, in a sense, statement of his character, things he has done in the past, but they don't terminate there. They don't end there in the past. We're, there it's, the, the writer, Luke, is making a statement both about the things God has done with the past, but the focus is on the future. The focus is, yes, these are things God has done, but the focus is, these are promises, things that God will continue to do. And that through Christ, these things, through this baby, these things will continue to take place in meaningful ways. So I want to read it. And as I read these couple of verses, just let it sink in. The powerful and the mighty hand of God doing these things both in the past, and as as I read it, think of things in either the Bible in the past or things in your own life that God has done. And also think forward about the things that God has promised to do. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now as we we dive into that last verse, verse 55. Now I was reminded of the word offspring or the word seed. Like this whole year, we've heard that word seed time and time again. Even when we were studying the book of Esther, right, that word seed kept showing up. It's been rather prolific throughout the year. If we look back briefly, um, no need to turn there, but Genesis 3, right? As, as Zeb likes to say, the wheels fell off the bus of humanity right, when Adam and Eve sinned, or as the, the wings fell off the plane as we were flying at 30,000 feet. Right? When Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't lose his faithfulness. Right? He didn't lose his position on the throne. He didn't have to somehow revert to plan B. He didn't somehow become less, but quite the contrary. Uh, listen to these words here in Genesis chapter 3. This is God's curse to Satan. Right? He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus, Satan, shall bruise your head, although you'll strike his heel. And again, this is what, what Mary is referencing of the first couple verses in Genesis 12. Listen, um, God speaking to Abram. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. There's some trust involved. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, catch this, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What do these passages have to do with Mary's words here? Seed, offspring, one and the same here. Right? All the families of the earth shall be blessed through Abraham. God spoke to Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham that everyone will be blessed through his line. And that culminates here in the person of Jesus. In that Genesis 3, that very first time that God promises of the seed of the woman, and it's quite literally, this child of Mary what she's saying is she's looking back on all of redemption history and saying, this is the moment. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for. And here, as she says, verse 55, as he spoke, as God spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, this is the culmination of all of that. And here Mary, standing with Elizabeth, is basking in the glory of the Lord of hosts that what he had promised thousands of years before is now quite literally happening. The prophetic has now become practical for these two women. This this is far too good to be true. That this beautiful moment, this beautiful reality of the incarnation is here. When Gabriel told Mary, excuse me, what Gabriel had told Mary 
is what God himself promised right out of the gate when Adam and Eve sinned. That the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of Satan. That this child will bring the ultimate destruction to Satan's kingdom on this earth. And that the crushing has already begun and lowly Mary has a part to play in it? It's too good to be true. God himself, the one who made us, the one who made humans in his own image, now somehow becomes one of them. Right, How does that work? How do you, if, you, if something is in your image, the one in whom the image is somehow takes on that form. I don't know how it works. Now this Mary, who'd been taught of the flood and how God brought judgment and how he saved the Israelites from the Egyptians and the Exodus and story after story after story, how he had promised time and time again of the coming Messiah. This is him. How she had been taught from childhood. All of those things are coming to fruition by God selecting her. How could she not magnify the Savior? How all the nations are going to be blessed by this little one. How God himself is the baby boy who is going to be born. How God himself humbles himself. The one who made all humans in his own image to be come in human form. And in this person of Jesus, we not only have a human in the image of God, but we have God himself. He humbled himself to be cradled by his own creation. Such knowledge is indeed too wonderful. For me, I pray for you and for Mary that God takes our form. Now he had chosen Mary and given her the distinct privilege in redemption history to carry, to care for, and even to cradle him. The greatest honor bestowed on a human to carry God himself. Again, how could she not magnify God? Now, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new did you know that the child that you delivered will soon deliver you mary did you know that your baby boy is lord of all creation did you know that your baby boy would one day and the answer is resounding yes I rejoice in God, my Savior. Mary believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And blessed she was for that. God will carry out his word. Believe him. Let's read it. He has, he has, he has. No matter what shameful, no matter what sinful things we have done, he has mercy on those who fear him. This child is indeed the biggest deal ever. 
All of God's promises stand in and with and through and around. God, in all history past, God, even from that very, from that very moment right, of conception. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you will just help us. And again, to steward the truth of your word, not only in our brains, but in our hearts and in our hands. Lord, that we will trust you, that we will be a joyful people and a humble people, Lord, who uphold life and who worship you and magnify you for all that you have done and for all that you will continue to do. Lord, we pray that you will help us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.